Welcome to Sunday School Dropouts, the podcast where an ex-Christian and a non-believing sort of Jew read all the way through the Bible for the first time. I'm Lauren O'Neill. And I'm Nico Bakulich. And let's get biblical. Let's. Uh, so today we're talking about the... Oh, wait, we have to do our shit first. Mm-hmm. Um, hi, it's me, Lauren. I was raised Christian. I'm now an atheist. I'm reading the new international version of the Bible. <laughs> Perfectly done. Thanks. I'm Nico. I am the non-believing sort of Jew, and I'm reading the NRSV, New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. And this is not a Christian Bible study podcast. Nor is it intended for children's. Um, and it may have some sort of objectionable content. Um, this one has some some violence and abuse stuff in it. I would give it TV 14 at yeah. least. Uh, and uh, anything else? No, no. Can I get a review of the wine? Uh, the wine is much better this week. Much better? I mean, it's, you know, it's not super special, but I think we've we've at least moved up a step from Manischewitz. <laughs> okay, so you all know what episode this is because you've already downloaded it, but we're going to tell you again. It's the book of Isaiah. It's the book of I to the Isaiah. And this is a, a fun book because it mixes the... God as abusive husband slash dad vibe mm-hmm. from the earlier Old Testament mm-hmm. with some of this uh, messianic obsession that we've been seeing in the apocryphal books that we've done. So it's a real, you just get everything here. It's a real melange. Yeah. It's a real trip to the fun house. Mm, is the fun house like mixed up? Oh my, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Hebrew name for Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Yeshayahu. Yeshayahu. Yeah. Sounds kind of a lot cooler than Isaiah, but whatever. It's named after the prophet Isaiah, who is, you know, supposed to be the author. Mm-hmm. Although it's pretty clear that the book was written by multiple people over at least a few hundred years. Yeah, I think. No, no one man could shit out a brick of a book like this. <laughs> um, and so it's actually divided into thirds, um, not in the book itself, but by scholars. Okay. Um, into Proto-Isaiah, Deutero-Isaiah, and Trito-Isaiah. Oh, I love these names. And those are all written in different time periods. Trito-Isaiah? Yeah, just for second and third. I mean, there might be sort of additional subdivisions within those, but those are like the main ones that they know were written at different times. Mecca-Isaiah versus Trito-Isaiah. Um, but it all supposedly takes place at the same time mm-hmm. um, in like the 8th century B.C., and um, so to refresh your memory, here's what's going on with the Israelites at this point in time. Okay. So check this out. I'm going to break down a little piece of history for you. Okay. Which piece? Uh, the piece about around the this Bible. Wing? The drumstick? <laughs> uh, it's going to be some, some breasts. Oh, <laughs> TV 14 over here. That's right. They call me Mr. TV 14. <laughs> I'm edgy, but not that threatening. I'm not that edgy. No. So here's here's how it was. There was David and Solomon. They were the they were the Davidic kings. Mm-hmm. After them, the nation of Israel split in two, mm-hmm. into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Eventually, the northern kingdom, Israel, was taken over by Assyria and destroyed. That's called the Assyrian exile because all of the Jews were sent away. Yeah, they were just like 
I don't know, probably put into like slavery and stuff throughout Assyria. Yeah. And the 10 tribes that lived there were called the 10 Lost Tribes. Yep. We so covered they're... that in one of the more recent episodes too. Yeah. You know. This is all starting to sound familiar. It's like we've done this before. Yeah. Almost like we've done it like 10 times before. Later on, hundreds of years later. I think just like 100, but like something like that. Sure. Well, 100 is a hundred. Yeah, that is. Hundred parentheses S. <laughs> the southern kingdom, Judah, was taken over by Babylon. Um, the temple was destroyed and all the Jews from the southern kingdom were deported to different places in Babylon. That's the called... temple in Jerusalem. Yes. The big one. The Solomon's important one. temple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's called that is called the Babylonian exile. Yes. But then Persia took over Babylon. And King Cyrus of Persia let the Jews go back to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Which was a big deal. Yeah. that's And then they rebuilt the temple. Yeah, he even gave them money to rebuild the temple. That's right. That's Ezra and Nehemiah were the books that covered that yeah. portion of the history. If you want to go listen to those, those were very boring books. But our episodes are great. Oh, yeah. we I mean, we killed it. We fucking hit it out of the park. But first of all, you're doing great. <laughs> Thanks, babe. You too. <laughs> this book takes place in Judah, which is the southern kingdom that is eventually going to be uh babylonified thank you i was looking for the perfect word (laughs) no problem i got you and this leads up to happens during and immediately after the assyrian exile yeah but supposedly before the babylonian exile right although the way it's written makes it kind of clear that it was done with the knowledge of that happening yeah like it doesn't actually tell the future okay we can safely assume got it so we're clear we're in judah it's like the 8th century BC. Israel isn't doing great. It's beset on all sides yeah. by warring peoples. Yeah. And also, like, in the northern kingdom, Israel, like, all the kings are wicked. Because mm-hmm. they've all totally turned away um, from, from God. Yeah. And so, but in Judah, there are some good kings. Mm-hmm. And so there's four, there's a succession of four kings that Isaiah is around for. Um, and those are Azariah, a.k.a. Uzziah. Okay. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And you may remember them from our episode on Second Kings or our episode on Second Chronicles, which repeated that. Mm-hmm. Um, or from the goddamn Bible. <laughs> but also there were like a zillion kings. And I think uh, after a few hundred years, they kind of start running together. <laughs> so um, just a very quick refresher. The first two, Uzziah and Jotham, mm-hmm. were like, okay, they didn't worship idols, but they didn't get rid of idol worship. Right. In Judah. Right. They didn't take, still didn't take down the high places. Yeah, the high places are where the Israelites go to conduct their favorite activity, worshiping idols. Getting funky with their idols. Um, The third king, Ahaz, was evil. Mm -hmm. And he encouraged idol worship and actually sacrificed one of his sons Mm -hmm. um, to an idol. And um, then the last one is Hezekiah, who was overall good. He tried to get rid of all the idols in the high places. Uh, it never really 100% works because, no. like, the Israelites love idol worship so much that literally, like, even God can't stop it. No. Like, God's been trying for hundreds like, of years. The existential threat of your entire people being destroyed is not enough to stop people yeah. from worshiping idols. And it's, like, a very clear and present threat during yeah. their existence that is, like, and they have people telling them all the time, just stop worshiping idols and we'll be fine. And people are like, nope really like worshiping idols though Just, you know <laughs> gotta get that idol um but yeah so hezekiah at least tried 
Um, so, you know, A for effort. So that's the historical background of the book of Isaiah. Um, so with the scene firmly set, yeah. Are we ready to get into the book, or do we need to do any other things? Get into this book. Okay, it starts off with a prophecy. Yes, appropriately enough, because this is definitely a book about, by, and for the prophets. Yeah, and for everyone else too, and also (laughs) by some non-profits. I mean, I mean, five hundred one c three. Yeah. Specifically, this prophecy is about the fall of Israel. Yes. So God is angry about how shitty the Israelites are. Yes. Uh, it's great. It's like hashtag TBT to our earlier episodes where mm-hmm. God is the abusive dad who berates and threatens his children constantly. Yeah. Um, guess why he's mad? <laughs> Idol worship. They're fucking worshiping idols. Mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. And Isaiah is basically laying out how pissed God is. And he says, daughter Zion is left like a booth in a vineyard. Yeah. Think about that. Whoa. Think about that. Whoa. There's a lot of stuff in this book. And I want to jump too far ahead that repositions the relationship between Israel and God as like a family and then as husband and wife mm-hmm. and then like and like father and son and then like servant and master. And God uh, portrays abusive tendencies throughout all of them mm-hmm. um just right right away and like starting in like chapter two i think mm-hmm. um isaiah is immediately giving us predictions about the quote-unquote last days when a messiah is going to come and everyone will finally recognize the one true god and god will judge everyone and reward the righteous and punish the wicked mm-hmm. and then like everything will be great and perfect on earth and there's a famous verse in here in the in the messianic age, people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Mm-hmm. So that's where that saying comes from. Uh, there's also some very harsh words in here for people who enjoy alcohol and music. Nico, no, those are not alcohol and music. Your two favorite things, <laughs> just... and uh, I'm afraid that the grave enlarges its appetite and opens its mouth for you. Well, I look forward to meeting him and jumping in his mouth. <laughs> All right, great. Um, so then. Uh, Uzziah, the first king on our list, uh-huh. dies. Okay. And the next king, Jotham. What a coincidence. First <laughs> king on our list and he's found dead. Mm. Um, he thinks a mystery is afoot. He left a a message written in <laughs> oh, code. Oh, no, 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 not this, not this. <laughs> um, so now Jotham is in charge and um, Isaiah describes his vision he has. Which is insane. Yes. He has a vision of being in the throne room. God's throne room, not Jotham's. Yeah, although I could I could see it either way. Oh, you okay. know how I think it could be more than one thing. Mm, that doesn't sound real. Oh, fair enough. In the throne room, he has a vision of a six-winged angel. Yes, has two wings covering its face, mm-hmm. two covering its feet, and then using two to fly. Mm-hmm. That is weird. Why would you use wings to cover your face or your feet? I know you. why you would cover your feet. Mm. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy is mm-hmm. the Lord God Almighty, which is the same thing that the angels and other beasts sing in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Same song. And so one of these angels uses tongs to grab a coal from the altar. 
Yeah, Isaiah is very worried about all the sin he has in him. Yeah, so this angel flies this coal over and touches Isaiah's lips with it, Mm -hmm. and that purifies him enough to be in the presence of God. Yeah. And then God just basically tells him that he's sick of the Israelites' shit and he's going to end the world again. Which is like standard stuff. Yeah. It wasn't like some groundbreaking thing. It's just like Isaiah had a vision of God. Yeah. A very weird one. Um, The six swings is weird. Very weird. Among the weird things that he has told, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. I like that. I like that as advice for the Israelites. It also... uh Describes the many hours I've spent reading and researching this book. I consider that a slam. Uh, Then Jotham dies. I guess we just fast forward. Uh, And so now Ahaz is in charge. Mm -hmm. Or Ahaz. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Ahaz, a bucket. (laughs) And so he's the evil king. Um, And the northern kingdom of Israel still exists at this point. Assyria has not yet invaded. And... um, Israel, the northern kingdom, teams up with this other country, Aram, to try and invade the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, So God has Isaiah tell Ahaz that everything will be fine. Like Assyria, or um, I'm sorry, Israel and Aram will not be able to overtake them. Right. Um, And he tells Ahaz to ask for a sign from God as proof, but Ahaz won't do it. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't either. It's like, it says, I don't want to test God. Yeah. Which, like, I thought you're not supposed to test God. But then Isaiah gets really pissed at him. And he says, is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Yeah. Isaiah, and this is going to be a part of the the theme of this book. Isaiah is quite the character. He seems like a real crotchety, unpleasant person that should be nowhere near the halls of power. Yeah. I mean, he definitely seems like he belongs in a basement. (laughs) Wearing a tinfoil hat. Possibly scribbling in his... Yeah, or like on some weird Usenet mm-hmm. chat room sure. about conspiracies. A Usenet chat room. That's uh, what I use on the internet when I log on to the World Wide Web every day. Um, <laughs> so Ahaz won't ask for the sign, but Isaiah tells him what it will be anyway. Mm-hmm. And the sign is that... A virgin will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us Mm -hmm. and is used as a title for Jesus later on. So you can see why Christians use this verse to say that Isaiah foretold the coming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But this is supposed to be a sign for a very specific occurrence that has nothing to do with Jesus, Mm -hmm. which is that Assyria will destroy Israel and therefore Israel will not be able to destroy Judah. Um. Also, there's some controversy over the translation of the word virgin, um, because I guess the word in Hebrew is alma. I'm not familiar with that word, but I guess it means something more like young woman. Or maiden. Yeah, than like virgin. Right. Um, But also, according to the academic notes in my Bible, Mm -hmm. which usually take everything very seriously, Mm -hmm. very literally, um, even if it does mean virgin... He's not saying that she'll be a virgin when she gives birth. Mm-hmm. He's saying she's a virgin right now. Right. She's about to get married. At the DOP date of prophecy. And then she'll have a son the regular old-fashioned way. Right. Fucking. <laughs> Wait. Isn't it a stork? Yeah, a stork fucks you. <laughs> a stork fucks you? That's how babies are made? 
sometimes. Ooh, this In Greek is... myths, that's like not that far off. Ooh, this is bad news. That was a swan, I guess. It's not far off. Anyway, my Bible's notes also say that the son that's born is Isaiah's. That's in the next chapter. I was real confused by that because... Well, first of all, he already has one son. He, are, he has one son. He has one large son named Shear Jashub. <laughs> then, but this son gets an even more egregious name. Yes. But anyway, in the book, it says, I w- it switches to first person here, uh-huh. confusing the narrative just uh-huh. a little bit. And it says, I went up to a prophetess and she had a son. Yeah. So my... D- does that... My notes does say that, that mean... she must be a second wife. Okay. So she was like the virgin. The second wife. Now she's married to Isaiah mm-hmm. and she's just a prophetess in that she's married to a prophet. Oh, he doesn't even give her a name though. He just says a prophetess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It sounds really weird in context though. I totally agree. And Especially then, because he names the kid something super spiteful. Yeah. The son, first of all, is not named Emmanuel at all. That's right. He's named Maher Shalal Hashbaz, mm-hmm. which means hurry to the spoils. Not anything like God is with us. Maher Shalal Hashbaz is actually uh, Baz Luhrmann's full name. Did you know that? Yes. Maher Shalal Hashbaz Luhrmann. <laughs> you can see why he shortens it. It would be so shitty to be that kid because like that kid was just born so that Isaiah could like prove a point. Yeah. Like prove a prophetic point. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the kid. Although, really, this was all written after the kid was born. So the kid is just being used as a hypothetical proven point. I understand. But if you take the, if you take the thing for its, for its word, if you take it at face value, if you meet it halfway. <laughs> did I say halfway? If you meet it halfway. <laughs> um, I am having trouble mm-hmm. meeting this particular book halfway. Me too. It's crazy. Uh we'll get into it more as we go i agree um because the next section is talking about a more general messiah it's no longer just applying to israel invading judah right now it's talking about like and this is a theme that it establishes that continues on through the rest of the book of Zion rising again out of the ashes of some horrible catastrophe and zion is another name for jerusalem right Jerusalem becoming not just like a seat again of the Davidic kingdom and of like Israel as a nation, but as like a shining light for God throughout the whole world. Yes. It's like a step up from Jerusalem just being the holy city. It's like now we're taking this international. Yeah. You know. Here's the things that we learn about the Messiah in the next few chapters. Break it down for me. Um, He will be called titles like Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. those are Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh-huh. Uh, those are names that are used for Jesus later. Um, it says that in the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, mm-hmm. but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus preached in Galilee. <gasps> um, chapter 11 says he'll be descended from Jesse. Jesse's King David's father, and like Jesus is mm-hmm. said to be descended from David. And let's see, God says Assyria is being used as a tool to punish Israel for their wickedness, but then he'll destroy Assyria too, because they're also idolaters. God says to the Israelites in this portion, in a little while, my indignation will come to an end. Hmm, that's Thanks. nice. That's great, isn't that? Thanks for giving us a timetable on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, when the Messiah comes, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat. Mm-hmm. 
Oh. And you, you uh, love cross cross species animal friends. I do. I would find it extremely cute to see a leopard lie down with a goat. Um send those pics. Yeah, do send those videos. Let's see. And then it also says, uh, whale for the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. But it's probably talking about like the Babylonian exile. Yes. You know that that's what the notes in mind said as well. It's not talking about necessarily the end of the world. Right. So there's kind of a double sleight of hand going on here because one, the book of Isaiah is claiming to foretell the Assyrian exile yes. and Babylonian exile, mm-hmm. but it was actually written after those things happened. Mm-hmm. And then two, in the New Testament, later on, we'll have people assigning all these attributes to Jesus on purpose in order to say he fulfilled these prophecies. Right. You know, like the historical Jesus was probably not actually descended from David, but Christian said he was so that it would make him seem like the Messiah described in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm having trouble meeting this halfway is because it's like explicitly billing itself as telling the future when that's a lie. Yes. Then chapter 14 mm-hmm. is weird. It contains this passage uh, that I will read to you. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. Morning star is translated into Latin as Lucifer, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So, like, this is weird because this passage is basically, like, the main source for the Christian conception of Satan. Hmm. Um, And it's why we call Satan Lucifer. Right. But... It's clearly talking about a Babylonian king. Yeah, it's like, talking about all of the enemies of Israel. Yeah, and it's this talking whole passage, about like it like names che- name checks a bunch of them, including like some like local gods that he doesn't like, and some like local idols and like evil kings yeah. and stuff like that. So it's like it doesn't. It's clearly not referring to Satan, mm-hmm. and we've seen clear references to Satan before in right. the Book of Job, for example. And this is not it. And also, it's weird that we chose Lucifer to refer to the devil because, like, it doesn't have any special connection to the devil. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the New Testament, Second Peter one nineteen refers to Jesus as the morning star. Like, it's just a figure of power or whatever. Mm. But, like, for some reason, we attach that to a persona that isn't even being talked about here. That's interesting. Yeah, it's weird. Unfortunately, that section about Lucifer and the Morning Star is probably like the most interesting thing that happens for a little while. Well, yeah. Well, there's not uh, any like plot points really for the next several chapters. It's basically like Isaiah reads the room. (laughs) As like an insult comic? (laughs) Yes. He like takes down all of the enemies of Israel and describes in detail how they're going to go down. Yeah. And these are both the political and spiritual enemies of Israel. Damascus, Egypt, Moab, Cush. Tyre and also Israel and Judah mm-hmm. because they're wicked and they need to get punished, but they'll rise back up in the end because they're the chosen people. Um, Ephraim gets red. Ephraim, yeah, that's another word for Israel. Oh, really? Yeah, because oh. that's one of the one of the tribes. That's one of the ten lost tribes. Ephraim. Oh, see, you learn something new every day. Yep, it's all very confusing. Um, <laughs> but there are some good lines in here. I wrote down, uh, I will sweep Babylon with the broom of destruction. 
Um, also, if you don't believe me that God is like an abusive husband slash dad, mm-hmm. Isaiah nineteen sixteen. The Egyptians will be like women. They will shudder with fear at the uplifted hand the Lord Almighty raises against them. Not glassy, God. Not glassy. Uh, let's see. Oh, and the Northern Kingdom. Everyone there is drunk and everything is covered with vomit because everybody's <laughs> drunk all the time. <laughs> it's like there's no clean place oh, to God. sit. It's like Mardi Gras hell. <laughs> it's just vomit everywhere. Vomit for days. There's also um, chapter 26 says that when the Messiah comes, your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. Yes. Um, so that's a detail that's going to be included in at least one of the Gospels when telling the Easter story. Mm-hmm. Um, again, to make it seem like Jesus fulfilled this particular prophecy in mm-hmm. the book of Isaiah. So throughout this whole thing, Isaiah is really insistent. His big bugbear, one might say. His pet peeve. That's right. The thing is, that grinds his gears. <laughs> that grinds his bones into bread mm. like an ogre mm. is... It grinds another man's grain. <laughs> well, we have no proof of that. Okay. Except when he slept with that prophetess just to have a yeah. baby out of... So that he could <laughs> name it a spiteful yeah. name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my hair shall all hushbaz. <laughs> Lerman. Um, is Judah allying with any other country for any reason. Mm-hmm. He like hates other countries. Mm-hmm. He, Cuz they're dis- all wicked. He's disgusted by the idea because like t- a little fucking fun political stuff. Judah is like looking for help from Egypt to fight off of the off the Assyrian invasion mm-hmm. after they invade them because Egypt is also an Assyrian vassal like Judah is. And Isaiah is disgusted by this. He's like, how could you go to those Egyptians for help? <laughs> Isn't God good enough for you? It's like, it, God already beat up the Egyptians once. Like, why would you want their help? You've already got God. Anyway, he does this for literally everybody. Yeah. She's like everyone. That's his like number one problem. The number one problem facing Israel is getting help from outside Israel. As well as everyone inside Israel. Also everyone inside Israel. It kind of seems like Isaiah didn't have a lot of friends. Yeah, kind of. Kind of seems that way. So like... Everything's fucked up. Idolatry is running rampant under King Ahaz, who oh, yeah. sacrificed one of his own children. And uh, But the Messiah is going to come, straighten everything out, and then people will throw away their idols, quote, like a menstrual cloth. Hmm. A menstrual cloth. Mm-hmm. Even back then, huh? And uh, although, like, didn't they wash them? Of course they washed they them. Didn't have, you don't throw it away. Don't have disposable pads. Do you trust Isaiah to give you the fucking prime details on no, what people do with the menstrual not. cloth? He already got mad at women for like flirting with their eyes <laughs> earlier in the book. <laughs> it was like literally like they don't say anything, but they're still so slutty. Why do they have to exist? Um, and then he describes that like when Jerusalem gets repaired, we're going to have a kingdom of righteousness. Mm-hmm. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the desert will have water. Uh, lions and jackals won't eat you. Big bonus. <laughs> um, and they'll show respect. He, he says the forest will show respect to the Lord. <laughs> the jackals were not being respectful. No. Uh, and also, best of all, the unclean will be barred from the kingdom. So you won't have to interact with any filthy commoners. Mm-hmm. On that note, should we take a break? What, so we can go 
mingle with some filthy commoners? I would never mingle with a filthy commoner. Well, I, I mean, was just I know get that. More wine. I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I thought you. I thought like we'd been together for nine years, and you still thought that I would be willing to mingle with a filthy commoner. Yes. Initiate break sequence. Yeah. In three, two, one. Bye. Bye. Sunday School Dropouts. I'm Nico. And I'm Lauren. And we are still talking about Isaiah. And we may... Uh, who? Isaiah. I think you mean Yeshayahu. <laughs> and we may be until the day that we die, because this book never ends. Yes. Uh, it's like that little boy in the never-ending story riding a luck dragon forever. Actually, does the, does the dragon tragically die? You don't, you don't know the never-ending story, do you? I mean, I know there was a sequel Several sequels, in fact. Um, well, this was the original never-ending story. So <laughs> so where we left off, we were in the middle of a bunch of shit. Sh- sh- I don't know. <laughs> there was no like clear point where we left off. But yeah, about we, halfway, were, we were in the middle of a bunch of shit. But about halfway through this book, Isaiah sort of steps out of the story in a weird kind of way. Like the prophecies are no longer by uh, Isaiah in this section. They're by like sort of anonymous later prophets. Yeah, and this is kind of where it starts to transition from proto-Isaiah to deutero-Isaiah. Of course. Mm-hmm. So that meaning like that's that's like the point in time when scholars notice a shift in like the voice yeah. or the style or whatever. Totally. And there, it, there's a lot of repetition and there's a lot of talk about stuff burning down and stuff you know, how everything's going to be brought low before it's brought back again. Yeah, and then the righteous will be rewarded and the wicked will be punished. Et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to give you a little a little taste of what that prophecy is like when things are brought low. All right. Because taste, taste me up. I, I really like this section. Imagine this, but just like hundreds of pages. Yeah, like hundreds of pages. <laughs> For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of vindication by Zion's cause, and the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch and her soil into sulfur. Her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. No one shall pass through it forever and ever. But the hawk and the hedgehog shall possess it. The owl and the raven shall live in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plummet of chaos over its nobles. They shall name it No Kingdom There, and all its princes shall be nothing." Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals, an abode of ostriches. Wildcats shall meet with hyenas, goat demons shall call to each other. There too Lilith shall repose and find a place to rest. I don't think mine had anything about Lilith. There shall the owl nest and lay and hatch and brood in its shadow. There too the buzzards shall gather, each one with its mate. Can we make a list of the animals 
that were all mentioned in there? Yeah, for sure. So we've got hawk, owl, raven. Hedgehog. Why hedgehog? It's like hawk, owl, raven, buzzard, jackal, goat, demon, and hedgehog. <laughs> the Hebrew note says identification uncertain. Oh, maybe. So they don't know what animal that refers to. Mm. Could be fucking rock hyraxes again. I hope so. <laughs> They're the closest living biological relative to the elephant. Jackals, ostriches, wild cats, hyenas, goat demons, which aren't really animals. And hedgehogs. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to give that a little taste because imagine a, a lot of that. There's a lot of that in this book. Yeah. Uh, all, a fuck ton. Yeah. There's so much. Like it, those things go on and on and therefore every other country around Israel. That was just. And Israel. That was just. Yeah. That was just. There were like, like several for Israel. Yes. <laughs> that was just part of one for Edom. Um, and then, for some reason, the Bible decides to copy and paste a different part of the Bible here for some reason. I don't understand why. Uh, so, we have, you know, at some point in there, King Ahaz dies, mm-hmm. and we get our fourth king, Hezekiah, who's the good king. Like, we've stepped out of the narrative so hard for, like, 30 chapters. Why are we suddenly coming back to I it? I don't know. And and it's exactly, like, the same text as we read in Second Kings. And it's, like, um, the story of when um, Assyrian soldiers come to threaten Jerusalem, which is, you know, in the southern kingdom. So Assyria does not take over. Um, And they tell them to surrender or they'll have to eat their own shit and drink their own piss. And then God kills half the Assyrian army in their sleep. So Jerusalem is safe. But like of all the stories that have come before this, like to pick one to copy and paste the exact text, it's the story about eating your own shit and drinking your own piss. I have no idea. And also... This is slightly different from the last time it was retold. Really? Yes, because Isaiah is more front and center in the narrative. Oh, yeah, that's true. And it it adds the fact that Isaiah goes to the king, Ahaz? Uh, Hezekiah. Hezekiah, my bad. And says he gives like a minor prophecy about how the Assyrian king is going to be killed by his sons before Hezekiah's son will be old enough to know the difference between good and evil. Right. Which is, like, true, but would only be available to, like, a true prophet or, like, historical information. Yeah. Yeah, so that really was just sort of, like, to, added in afterwards. It's really easy to get your prophecies to be very accurate <laughs> if you write them after the fact. Surprisingly yeah. accurate is how I describe these prophecies. Um, and so then that just, like, falls by the way. So, like, we just, we're done with that. We, it's like we switched to prose for yeah. a page or two. For, not even. Like, for, like, just one chapter. Actually, I guess three chapters. Anyway... Then we just go back to our normal uh, poetry about how God hates everyone. <laughs> and um, I like the next couple chapters because God starts getting really sassy about idol worship. Oh, he is very sassy. He's the sass master. Um, I like 44.8. You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is oh. no other rock. I know not one. I feel like surprisingly unsure about this and like... I know. I don't know any. I don't know. Do you? Do, <laughs> do you really want to ask the Israelites if there's any other gods? Like the Israelites, the people who can't go a single fucking week without sucking Molech's dick. Molech is. It does get a does get a shout out in here. By the way, I hope he's doing good wherever he's at. Forty four also contains a wildly unnecessarily long description of the idol making process like from a physical point of view yes and it's very sarcastic super sarcastic it's like a description of like blacksmiths and carpenters or like other crafts people this is like what you get when you have way too much time to make your argument and like (laughs) so 
Like, it describes them, like, making a normal item, like a table or whatever, and then using the leftover material and being like, hmm, what can, mm, I think I'll make an idol out of this. <laughs> and the exact quote is, uh, no one stops to think half of the wood I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? <laughs> Shall I bow down to a block of wood? <laughs> like... Yeah, when you put it that way, it's like, no one stops to think. Hmm, maybe I shouldn't make a detestable thing. <laughs> and it's so obvious because Isaiah was not sassy. Isaiah was all anger. Fire and brimstone, he was yeah. Like, he's like, feels a deep anger towards people that, that are doing wrong. But this is like... Yeah, he's a hater. He's, he's a hater. But this is like... He has a little sense of humor to his hate. At least, at least he's like, let's just think about it logically. Mm. Like, why would you build an idol? You know, like... What are the steps that go into building an idol? You know, have you ever heard of any other gods? Hmm? <laughs> I don't know any, and I'm God, so I I would know. Then we reach, I think, the weirdest passage. Yes, it's theologically problematic. It's historically confusing. Yeah. So, first of all, the author, quote unquote Isaiah, starts saying that. Jerusalem will be occupied and destroyed, but mm -hmm. then it will be restored mm -hmm. specifically by Cyrus. Yes. Um, and that is the Persian king who takes over Babylon and lets the Jews go back to Jerusalem. So, like, this is not just a general prediction, like, saying, one day we'll overcome our enemies. You know, it doesn't matter who. Egypt, Cush, Moab, like, we'll overcome sure. them all. They're all yeah. evil. This is, like, specifically naming Cyrus by name. And it's supposedly being written like one or 200 years before Cyrus comes to power. So that's like obviously not true. And I find it annoying that like. Like do you you don't find this convincing. Right. This like fake backwards prophecy thing. Right. Yeah. And like maybe it was supposed to be convinced. Like maybe it was more convincing for like ancient people. Mm -hmm. But like you're asking me in 2016 to take every word of the Bible literally and like. <laughs> When there's just like there's just like made up stuff in here. Predicted Cyrus's name two hundred years in advance because God told him like. But okay, anyway, that's not even the weird part of no. this. Um, the weird part is that C Cyrus Cyrus is the king of Persia. He's a Zoroastrian, mm -hmm. and historically speaking, he let everyone in the kingdom worship whoever they wanted. Mm -hmm. So he has no particular connection to the Hebrew God. Mm -hmm. But in this part of the book he's called god's shepherd and his anointed one isaiah isaiah 45 1 his anointed one mm -hmm. do you know the hebrew word for anointed one is did it, your notes say messiah yeah it's mashiach which is literally like it's transliterated into messiah mm -hmm. mashiach it's like the same same letters but it literally means anointed one mm -hmm. so they are calling cyrus a messiah. Right. Like, not just figuratively, both figuratively and literally. Right. Like, here, I'll, I'll just read the whole passage. Um, This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor though you do not acknowledge me. So I'm like struggling with this. I guess 
From what I understand, the Jewish concept of a Messiah is different from the Christian concept in that he's not like the Messiah isn't supposed to be divine. Mm -hmm. So he's supposed to like do the things that are prophesied here, bring the Jews back to Jerusalem, bring an age of peace. He's a redeemer. Yeah. Reward the righteous, punish the wicked. But he's not necessarily like the son of God. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's what it's saying about Cyrus here. Um, But like, I'm still kind of confused because it's saying that he's going to like render this ultimate judgment day. (laughs) So like. (laughs) They're getting, they're getting their like ultimate judgment days mixed up with their like political prophecies. Yeah. Like they shouldn't be mixing them up, you know? Or is it supposed to be taken like figuratively? Like, Mm -hmm. are, are you supposed to think like, oh yeah, he's like, you know, he's going to do justice. He's going to bring the Jews back to their just kingdom of give them money to refound the temple therefore that's like basically the same as restoring peace to earth that's a good point i mean i don't know how how it seems to alternate and and or not have a clear through line about how how literally you're supposed to take it um do you want some some hot fire from the academic notes um please yeah blast me (laughs) put me in the kiln the imagery here presupposes elements of the Babylonian Akitu, or New Year festival, in which the Babylonian king's right to rule is renewed for the coming year. The king grasps the hand of Marduk, the god of Babylon, and is granted the tablets of destiny as part of his authorization to rule. Ooh. Cyrus was authorized to serve as king of Babylon when he participated in the Akitu festival in 539 BC. The lord here takes on the role of Marduk, is declared to be the only god, and authorizes Cyrus to rule. So it's taking... A Babylonian. It's using like a Babylonian convention. Like in which the God referenced is explicitly one of the gods that like the Israelites are against. So maybe it's like when the Babylonians thought Marduk was taking Cyrus's hand and authorizing him to rule and and approving his actions. That was actually the God of Israel. And they were just confused. Or they didn't know or whatever. Okay. Okay. That's what the academic notes say. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? It's so weird. And in any case, like, why? What? How? <laughs> I mean, it's not the first time that the God of Israel has used outside forces, non-Jews, as, as uh, instruments for... Like for his will. For his will. Either I mean, for good or the evil. Uh, not evil, but either for the good or for the bad of Israel. Uh-huh. Whether he wants to inflict wrath or... Right. Increase righteousness. Right. But it's definitely the first one who has been called a messiah, literally. Yeah. And definitely the first one who has been connected to these like passages that seem extremely apocalyptic. Apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. You know, like with Balaam, it was like he got them out of a jam. Yeah, he got them out (laughs) of a jam. He didn't usher in the new age when Zion is a shining light to the whole world. To the whole world. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess maybe the stakes are higher here, like, because they almost were completely wiped out as, like, a people and mm-hmm. as a nation. But it doesn't seem like the most logical reaction to th- be like, well, we were hanging on by a thread, and now there's still a few of us left. Therefore, we won the whole world forever, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, But, but... Moving, moving on. We have to. We could talk about that all day, but look, we got a schedule to keep. I mean, mainly like the next, we still have 20 chapters left. (laughs) 
That's literally true. But they're all about, I mean, the rest of it is just more stuff about like messiahs and apocalypses. Basically, yeah. uh, Well, chapter 48 has like a very intentional retcon, like. Um, it says, I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Mm-hmm. Like, don't draw attention to it. That just makes it more <laughs> obvious that it's a lie, you know? Um, also, 4822 has the phrase, no rest for the wicked. There ain't no rest for the wicked. Money don't grow on trees. I don't think that part's from the Bible. I got bills to pay. I got mouths to feed. Is there, Sh- shit, I is can't... there anything in this world for free? They, oh, thank you. Thank you for asking that. Also, oh, chapter 50, Sassy God reemerges. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Oh, shit. Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Meaning God either divorced your mom and walked out on y'all or sold you his child to pay a debt because you could sell a child to pay a debt back then. Mm-hmm. Very abusive husband slash dad here. I have some more Sassy God, too. This is from back in chapter 45. Woe to you who strive with your maker, earthen vessels with the potter. Does the clay say to the one who fashions it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Ooh. Um, I also like uh, that your enemies will wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Mm. I think there's so much good poetry. There is some some great in this lines book, in it. And it's like kind of hidden in among all the like wacky stuff and it has all these images that are so like original and really like grab your attention but i can't use any of them in my daily life because they're all about like crushing your enemies (laughs) you know like there's none about like enjoying a good meal or like (laughs) or like sharing a moment with a loved one or like work-life balance you know like stuff that stuff that like i need to make more enemies so i can wear them out like a garment (laughs) Sweep them with the broom of destruction. So the book sweeps along like a broom of destruction towards the end. Um, At some point, God starts to soften up a little bit. And he talks a big game about redoing the covenant. He says, this reminds me of the time when there was a flood. Yes. To me, this is like the days of Noah. (laughs) Is what mine has. Remember when there was a flood? Anyway, he says... Even though he promised he would never get mad after the flood, Uh and then he did. Uh This time he means it for real. Total abuser. (laughs) Like classic abuser dynamics. And why would you bring up the other time? I know. Just say like, hey, I'm never going to get mad at you without bringing up the fact that you already promised that That you already broke your promise. Like you're drawing attention to it. He's lampshading it. He's lampshading it. Um, Oh, there's also this bit. um, It's called the suffering and glory of the servant. That could be about a Messiah figure or it could possibly be about like. Well, Israel is the servant. Okay. Yeah. 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 I've read that it could be interpreted both ways, but like. I I guess so. Um, But the aspects that it talks about are ones that are explicitly applied to Jesus as well. Hmm. So there's um, despised and rejected by men, pierced for our transgressions, Mm -hmm. which apparently is kind of a self-serving translation because like, I think it would be more accurate to translate it as like pierced by our transgressions. Hmm. But, I mean, same basic idea. Uh, Makes his life a guilt offering, bore the signs of the many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this is, like, the first time that we've seen this concept of, like, a messiah or a entity 
that sacrifices itself. Israel as an idealized person. Yeah. Um, also, who can speak of his descendants? I think you mean Jacques Saunier and <laughs> Sophie Nevu uh, from the sacred text, The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> uh, Jacques Saunier, wasn't he a renowned museum curator? Yeah, renowned curator Jacques Saunier. Okay. Got Duh. it. Nailed it. <laughs> If you haven't listened to our uh, guest appearance on the podcast, I don't even own a television. We uh, talked for two hours about the Da Vinci Code. We'll give you some more details at the end of the episode. It's really great. You should check it out. It's pretty good. Um, and let's see. Oh, so now that's like the end of Deutero Isaiah. So now we're on Trito Isaiah. Oh, finally, we get to the Trito. But so now we're in like another time period, another author. Yes. Um, I think you can really see the shift dramatically because it starts out by giving a shout out to foreigners and eunuchs mm-hmm. specifically. I love the, it says, the appeal like, to eunuchs. They can serve God too. I don't know why those are the two groups that it decides to single out. Foreigners and eunuchs. They're good. They can still worship God. Do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. (laughs) That's some funny stuff. I mean, like. I've, it's very strange in among all this other stuff, but that's pretty funny. Chapter 58. Not sure it's what you should be being clever about in your, <laughs> in your book of religious prophecy, but, you know. Um, I do like this bit that true fasting isn't denying yourself food. Mm-hmm. It's giving your food to the hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, that ties back into the like wealth as an obligation idea that mm-hmm. Mallory Ortberg brought up a couple episodes ago. Um, yeah. So like fasting isn't about denying yourself. It's about sharing your resources with others who don't have as much. Fasting in these Old Testament books was used as a way to like get closer to God. Mm -hmm. But this is like true fasting is not about starving yourself. And in addition to like calling traditional fasting into question, it also calls like traditional sacrifices into question. It does, both at the beginning of the book when Isaiah is talking and here at the very end. Um, Here at the very end, it's like very noticeable. It says, whoever sacrifices a bull is like one who kills a man, mm-hmm. which, of course, ties into the Christian doctrine about Jesus being the only, like he's the last sacrifice and therefore we don't need to make any more animal or grain sacrifices. Hmm. Um, what am I going to do with all his oil then? I know, right? Well, I can think of one thing. What's that? Gonna have a fucking cookout, baby. <laughs> Fry up some potatoes. <laughs> Fry up some potatoes. Uh, Just toss a whole potato into a big pot of frying oil. Yeah, that's how you fry a potato, right? I mean, that's how I fry a potato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Messiah will wear a breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, mm. garments of vengeance, and a cloak of zeal. That's a famous passage. Though in anger I struck you, in favor I will show you compassion. And never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, even though he said never again many times. Mm-hmm. Very abuser dynamics. Uh, oh, chapter 65 has a really great list of um, things that God is mad at the Israelites for. That includes offering sacrifices in gardens. Those are like high places. Burning incense on altars of brick. When they're, it's supposed to be made out of 
something else. I mean, I don't know, but we we do know that God will. He takes that seriously. Kill you if you light incense yeah. wrong. Multiple people have died in the Bible <laughs> for lighting incense wrong. Uh, sitting among the graves at night, keeping vigil. That might be like communion with the dead, like talking to the dead, which oh. is forbidden. I don't know. Um, eating pork and other unclean meat. I feel like actually like pigs have not come up very often. They haven't. <laughs> uh, but they are mentioned here. And my personal favorite, the last thing that God is mad at the Israelites for, saying, keep away from me for I am holier than thou. That is where that phrase comes from. And it still means exactly the same thing 2,500 years later. Mm -hmm. And God hated it from the very beginning. (laughs) (laughs) But I find that confusing. So, I mean, you're supposed to welcome other people into your midst, but you can't intermarry with them. No, you can't intermarry with them. That would alter the purity of the bloodline. But, you know, you're not supposed to say that you're holier than them. But then how do you explain not intermarrying with them? Um, You know, it's just... A holiness imbalance. You won't say where, which way, which direction it's coming. Well, from. I think, <laughs> I think this this is um, supposed to be about Israelites saying they're holier than other Israelites. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, that doesn't really address the core issue, but it's okay. Well, it addresses the core issue of people being like uppity, <laughs> you know. <laughs> True. True. Um, One of the great issues of our day. Yeah. Uh, and then it kind of wraps the whole thing up. Um, do you have anything else you want to? Yeah. So in terms of the prophecy, so after it lays out this land of, of shining light, wherein Zion will be a beacon to the entire world for the word of the true God, Mm -hmm. it then explains that that can't really happen quite yet because all of the unjust have to be judged first. Yeah. Including everybody in Israel. Yeah. And then it doesn't really lay out the specifics of that. So it's sort of like the, the the notes in mine pointed out that like later writers came back and were basically like, hey, you know, this prophecy still applies. But, you know, he meant that, you know, it probably wouldn't I wouldn't expect it to happen anytime soon because people still need to be judged. People still need to be sorted out and everything. So it's just sort of like kicking the can down the road that and trying to like, extend the lifespan of the prophecy. That seems like the whole concept of messiahs and apocalypses in the text that we've read so far is just kicking the can down the road yes and it's like why which is fine if you fine if you only think about it in figurative terms if it's about you know like a spiritual apocalypse or uh the rejuvenation of a community or or something like that but not you know like a like an actual apocalypse end of the world day of judgment yes for the whole world yes 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 if you think about it in figurative terms or spiritual terms right. on an individual or community level, then I think it can it can make a certain amount of sense. But then, like, if they're thinking of it that way, then why go to the trouble to, like, come back in 200 years later and yeah. be like, uh, no, 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 this prophecy is still fine. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, obviously, you wouldn't have to do all of this backstands. Uh, you wouldn't have to bend over backwards. <laughs> backstand? What's a backstand? <laughs> it's when you stand on your back. <laughs> it requires a lot of skill. <laughs> When you stand, so that's just lying down on the ground. <laughs> oh no, it's much more than that. If you've ever seen it done properly, you'll be amazed. <laughs> oh. But I don't know. I was so I was like doing all this research on this, and I was trying to figure out because clearly, like this is a really, really important Old Testament book for Christians, mm. and they they point to all these specific things in here as like literal prophecies of. The life of Jesus, Mm -hmm. not just figuratively, but very literally, like 
people will rise from the dead and he'll be pierced for our transgressions mm-hmm. and he will be in the Galilee area, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so as I was like researching the Jewish interpretation, I found this one like uh, kind of oddly combative rabbi who was An like- oddly combative rabbi. Um, who wrote this thing about how like obviously Jesus was not the Messiah mm-hmm. because after he came- there wasn't this judgment day. Right. Um, and like... That a the, Jewish Messiah would have preceded the judgment day. Right. Which like actually like kind of made me think about like I for some reason I had never like quite thought of it in those terms. Mm-hmm. That like according to like all this stuff that this very book that people use to quote unquote prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Mm-hmm. It also kind of quote unquote proves that he wasn't. Or it proves that... I mean it doesn't... Well, let's be I mean, clear. It doesn't, it doesn't prove anything. Yeah, like, but yeah, in that let's case, be clear about that. the like just the Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was Messiah are just like stuck in the past, right? So, but it's like, <sighs> like they're working from incomplete information, you right? Because they don't have this sweet new scripture. But like, no one can deny that the the Day of Judgment didn't happen, and like Christians then for some reason have decided like, oh yeah, he was the Messiah and he like fulfilled all these prophecies, but also he's going to come back again in the future and do it for real this time, Mm -hmm. you know, which like is increasingly bizarre to me to think about. And it just seems like everything we've read about the Messiah and the apocalypse is kind of like next time it'll be for real Mm -hmm. because we've read multiple descriptions now of apocalypses that happened in the past. Like, so isn't it, isn't an apocalypse just like a large-scale metaphor for death i mean i guess well in in that case the next time it happens to you it will be for real i guess that's true the next time will always be for real i don't understand how literally i'm supposed to take it baby i'm not your spiritual advisor (laughs) i'm your wine advisor oh you you did pick out this uh this tasty merlot smoky merlot yeah i mean it's good it's definitely acceptable and that's, you know, and I'm a fan of boundaries, as are you, and I think I'm going to draw my boundary there. I'll be your partner, your co-host, your wine advisor, but I can't advise you on spiritual matters. Ugh, but I really want to know if, like, literally the city of Jerusalem will become a beacon unto the world. Why? Why do we all always have to have this idea of the Messiah and the Apocalypse? Why can't we just fucking live? Why do we have to, like, think someone's going to come straighten shit out? Because I, I, I think it helps us deal with the fact that, you know, we're all going to die someday. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Nobody's going to come fucking save us. We that's, have to fucking save ourselves. That's true. Another thing Mallory Orberg said, the kingdom of heaven is, is here on earth. So in that case, if the apocalypse is spiritual rather than than physical, you know, it did already happen for Christians. I guess. But we're still waiting for the second coming. I'm referring to we as if I'm a Christian. The Christians of whom I used to count myself one. Among. (laughs) Are like still waiting for a second coming, though. We're kind of already there. We have to read this book, though. Otherwise, we will never come to a conclusion. Because yeah, it poses it. so many weighty problems. Let's read. Let's read this fucking book. <laughs> how would you? How would you rate this book, my dear? I don't think. I'm, I don't know. I think I'm gonna give it. 
five out of ten brooms of destruction. Okay. I I mean, I like some of the poetry. Mm-hmm. I really can't deny that there's some great poetry in here. Um, But, like, I'm really stressed out about <laughs> what I'm supposed to, like, what I'm being asked to take literally. Uh-huh. And also, like, what I personally want to take literally Mm -hmm. you know like it just seems like it oscillates wildly back and forth between like oh like no we're talking about a literal political victory right a persian king is the messiah right or we're talking about the end of days and Mm -hmm. like a metaphysical transformation of the world and then like on top of that i have all this christian baggage Mm -hmm. that like basically takes that and then just like Raises it by an order of magnitude. So right. it's like, in addition to all these quote unquote prophecies, like we're going to add some more like retconned prophecies and we're going to take them super literally, but also figuratively because Jesus didn't really bring about the end of days, but mm. he will probably because that's what it says in this book. You know, it's confusing and stressful and I don't like it. It's like a load bearing stone for, for a lot of the later stuff for you. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, that's like load bearing stone. Yeah, very much so. Load-bearing stone. That's what everybody knows. That's the metaphor that I, everybody uses every day. I build Mr. Building. And I put a load-bearing stone in him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, like, this is, it really is a super important book for Christians that mm-hmm. they point to and say, like, literally, the prophet Isaiah, a real person, foretold jesus with this it wasn't a really line. nice person you know <laughs> yeah he was i mean but he was keeping it real <laughs> <laughs> no one could not could deny this um so yeah that's my thing i just it's annoying i i'm confused and i don't like it no i can see i can see the spiritual confusion etched on your on your features <laughs> what about you what would you rate it i would give it 399 out of 666 morning stars what the fuck <laughs> Are you inviting uh, Lord Satan onto this podcast? I mean, do you have an in with him? Oh no, I thought you were doing like a like an incantation thing. I thought you were like entering the fucking cheat code for Satan. Che- entering the cheat code <laughs> yeah. for Satan, like up, up, down, down, left, left, yeah, right, yeah. right. Select six, start. Six. Select start. Six, six, six. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't know that code. Oh. Do you know that code? You can tell me off the air. Okay. Um. No, I for many for for many of the same reasons. I love. Some of the poetry. I love the the takedowns of every individual nation being like... And every individual person. <laughs> hey, Tyre, do you remember the ships of Tarshish, how your ships flew so beautifully? Guess what? They won't si- fly so beautifully when your country is made of ash. <laughs> they'll fly back. They'll fly. Ships don't fly, right? They, they may metaphorically fly over Across the, the water? Yeah. You're, you're right. I am a brilliant man. <laughs> um, That's exactly what I meant to say. <laughs> I like how they're all taken down individually with nice flowery language. I kind of like in its own way, like if the first part of the book where it was just Isaiah being cranky Mm -hmm. and being mean in a very small period of history, Mm -hmm. if that was the whole book, I think I would have a much more positive opinion about it. I'd be Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is crazy. But it's kind of like of a piece with some of the stuff from Kings and... Uh, chronicles and stuff around there mm-hmm. while being just a little bit more like spiritually uh, ambitious, I'd say. Sure. Um, 
but there's a bunch of other layers of stuff thrown on top of it and it gets confusing like you said about what is the tone what are we supposed to be taking from this in a spiritual context what are we supposed to be taking from this in a historical context political context a yeah. literary context like i don't know it just seems like it's kind of thrown together and i mean it i mean it is certainly taped together <laughs> not thrown like over probably a couple hundred years yeah and it feels like it yeah i mean like high quality work but not held together with the the most uh, elegant connective tissue yeah um so that is that's my rating i'm satisfied with that rating okay well i'm and satisfied uh, with you i hope it will bring us the favor of our uh, lord and savior satan one Lucifer. of these days, he'll notice all the hard work I've been doing. Prince Lucifer. <laughs> uh, all maybe, right. Maybe this year's Empire will notice me. <laughs> uh, I guess that's that's our show. That has to be. Before we it do our regular has out- to be. <laughs> Before we do our regular outro stuff, I would like to bring up something me- that we mentioned a little bit earlier, which is that we were guests on another podcast, another excellent podcast called "I Don't Even Own a Television." We should have mentioned this. Last week, but we didn't because we're stupid. No, it was because we record many weeks in advance. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we're prepared yep. and responsible adult human beings. That's the reason. You may remember the name I Don't Even Own a Television from when we had our friend J.W. Friedman on the podcast for our Deuteronomy episode. Yes. Surprise, surprise. That's his podcast. OMG. With uh, another fellow named Chris Collision. And it's all about bad books. And Much a, like the one that we just read. And apparently one of their most requested things, often as a joke, I assume, is to is to cover the Bible. And so Can you imagine trying to cover the whole Bible in one podcast episode? Uh I'm imagining it. It's not going great, honestly. It's not going great. <laughs> anyway, we were very kindly invited on that show and we did an episode which you, which is up now and you should check out. Because uh they're very funny. It's a great show. And we get to rag on the Da Vinci Code. Yep. Which is basically like religion. I would say it's like a foundational text of civilization, yeah. It's certainly a foundational text of of J.W. Friedman's life, which he talks about a bit on the show. <laughs> so check that, that out. That's a pretty harsh burn. <laughs> no, it's good. It's cool. I don't it's think great. that's a burn. He talks about it. it helped, no, I know. It helped lead to him founding the show that we like. Yeah, I know. I just don't want to think I'm burning him. I know. You're not burning him. Okay. You're hosing him down. Yeah. I like this. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. We're going to stop uh, sexually harassing J.W. Friedman in absentia, and we're going to wrap up our Start show. Start doing it in person. So, <laughs> um, you can follow us on Twitter, at SunSchoolDrop. We are like always chatting with people on there, and it's great. You can find us on Facebook by looking for Sunday School Dropouts. Um, we almost have as many Facebook likes as the sketch group. Yeah, so if you about to overtake them. If you want to toss us a thumb or a smile or a heart, you can also find our website. It's sundayschooldropouts.lol. Do not go to sundayschooldropouts.com. I tried to do that the other day to see what it was, and my computer immediately freaked out and it was like, You're getting twelve viruses. <laughs> <laughs> and it like froze. And then I had to like restart it. So don't go to sundayschooldropouts.com. Did that really happen? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Only go to sundayschooldropouts.lol. And uh you can also email us contact at sundayschooldropouts.lol. If you want to follow Lauren on Twitter, she's at Lauren E. O'Neill. If you want to follow Nico on Twitter, you can't. 
That's right. Um, our logo and art is done by a talented Elise Carlton. And all our music and editing is done by Nico. It's been a delight to share the baffling and overlong book of Isaiah with you. I hope you enjoyed it more than we did. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Um, we'll be back next week with more Bibble. We talk it all the time and all the different ways. Bibble's bobble. Bibble's bobble, left to right. Hope you have <laughs> a beautiful night. This has been Sunday School Dropouts. My name's Nico. I'm Lauren. And we will see you on Sunday. Bye. Bye.